He thought a career in carpentry might be in the cards. No, not woodworking, perhaps priesthood. Made sense given Dennis Murphy's deep Irish Catholic family roots. So he headed off to the seminary at the ripe young age of 14. We dare to say, our Father, Murphy's high school years at St. Lawrence opened his eyes to what he was taught as a kid. Give back, do something meaningful. Didn't wind up doing that as a Catholic priest. Instead, Dennis decided he'd use his compassion for people by devoting his life to keeping them healthy. Hello, IU Health team members. I'm Dennis Murphy, the president and CEO of IU Health. His journey from thinking maybe he'd be a carpenter or follow his Irish Catholic roots to the priesthood running the biggest healthcare system in Indiana. He's my guest this week on the Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick. Well, how do you go from maybe I want to be a carpenter to what about serving as a priest to president and CEO of IU Health? No doubt, Dennis Murphy's life path has been unique, and I am really thrilled to to have Dennis join me on the podcast this week. Dennis, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much, Gary. It's wonderful to be with you. Well, you know, we've got a lot to talk about that we can talk about, and certainly about uh, uh, tremendous growth at IU Health and uh, the healthcare landscape in Indiana. But as I mentioned in the introduction, y- your path to your role has been an interesting one, including going way back when to your uh, to your younger years, you really seriously considered being a priest, right? Yeah. You know, I had an uncle who was a Christian brother and uh, somebody that I was very close to personally. And it was, uh, I think you said, uh, ingrained in me that you're supposed to make a difference in your life. And that was something I seriously considered. I had a really wonderful experience. I was uh, in a Capuchin seminary there, Franciscans, and really loved the idea of giving back, doing good in the world, being kind of spiritually centered. And it was uh, a wonderful place to be during a very formative time in everybody's life. Your high school years are really, it definitely made me who I am today. Yeah. Talk about how it really came about. You mentioned an uncle and you had a visit as I did a little little research, you visited a seminary for a weekend and that, and you were, and you were hooked at that point, right? Yeah. You know, it was uh, that I always loved being part of a team and a bigger group. And you really felt that way when you were at the seminary that there were a set of like-minded people all trying to do something special with themselves and their lives. A great set of priests and brothers uh, who ran the school, who actually, it was very small. My graduating class was 28 people. So you got a lot of uh, individual attention in terms of your own development, both academically and spiritually and personally. And so And it was kind of interesting. My parents were both from Ireland. Uh, They left home uh, when they were 15 and 16, respectively, to 
go to another country. So the idea of leaving home at 14 didn't seem like a, a big deal in my family. It was kind of expected. You grow up quickly and you become pretty independent quickly. That's interesting. So family, obviously, very important to you and your your upbringing, as well as faith, right? Uh, both both family and faith, uh, big roles in shaping uh, ultimately who you uh, who you are today. A- absolutely, I, you know, I I think anybody who comes from an immigrant family, probably your first uh, circle is those you you know in your family. You tend to be a little bit of an outsider. And so you cling really strongly to your family and your extended family. And so aunts and uncles and cousins are still my best friends, my closest yeah. confidants. And, and so it's wonderful that that has a real uh, special bond. Yeah. Interesting, too. I think another family member or, or their family tradition in uh, as laborers, right? You You thought seriously, I think at one point, about being a carpenter. So, so you must be handy, Dennis. Yeah, I I love uh, working with my hands. Maybe unlike these jobs, there's tangible accomplishments every day. There's not a lot of committee work in car- carpentry. <laughs> I was very lucky. I had an uncle who was a carpenter, and uh, my father uh, rehabbed houses and did a lot of plumbing work. And so I grew up around people in the trades and had a huge respect for kind of their hard work, their intellect. Anybody can uh, do that kind of work uh, is just special. So I really loved it. And it is my uh, stress release or one of my stress stress relievers right now. Yeah. So you do projects. You do uh, projects around the house? Yeah, much to my wife's chagrin uh, most of the time. But yeah, instead of hiring people, I still have my father and my uncle in my head saying, you can fix that. I'll take on some things. Since I've moved here, I've done a little bit less, but I've rehabbed uh, three or four houses uh, in my marriage. And it's always a trying adventure uh, with your wife if you're going to tear up your house. Yeah, that's the ultimate test, right? You know, what's your take, uh, Dennis, when you talk about the trades and, and, you know, working with your hands and plumbers and steam fitters and uh, you can go go on down the list, uh, welders, um, there seems to be, you know, such a shortage nationwide of those, those kind of skilled craftsmen, if you will. Do you you think we as a society, maybe we're getting back to, you know, embracing that more, but do you think we've kind of lost that touch with uh, the uh, the laborer, those uh, those skilled tradesmen that, that really have helped build the country. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting, Gary, if you go back maybe 10, 15 years, you and I heard a lot about the sort of information economy and right. all of that. And so uh, I really think that for a younger generation, maybe pointed people in a direction away from those kind of skilled trades that I, I think are critically important to every industry. You know, I think about my own and the projects we have going on everywhere. Those kinds of people are critical to our success and they're really talented. It is a skill and a profession, um, yeah. not, you know, not a default because you can't do something else. I, I think people have a real passion and joy for that work. And should be encouraged to go into it. Yeah, your your background, your path to uh, where you are today, a very interesting one. I mentioned the seminary. Going back to that time, what made you decide to ultimately 
leave the seminary, not pursue priesthood? You know, it probably goes back to family. It, being a priest is a really tough profession. It is at times isolating and a bit lonely. And I thought about maybe the strength of my parents' marriage. My father and mother were just this amazing couple. And uh, unfortunately, my father passed away too young. But, at, you know, that was a huge influence. And again, surrounded by aunts and uncles who similarly had great marriages, uh, great families, and that desire to say, I, I really think that's my calling uh, was really important. And you, uh, it sounds like we're really driven by a mission to serve and to be of service. And I know you got your undergraduate degree at Notre Dame. And while you were there, uh, you worked in what I think was uh, Northern Indiana Children's Hospital for Disabled Children. And that, I know, you care for autistic children while you were there, really influenced you in, in your life at that time. Yeah, you know, the acronym was NISH. Uh, at that time, a lot of Notre Dame students uh, volunteered there. I started out as a volunteer and ultimately became one of the few students who was actually a paid staffer there. Mm. I enjoyed the work that much. And probably because I was tall, male, fairly deep voice, ended up with a group of about eight or nine uh, older autistic children that I cared for uh, because they listened. And uh, not sure always why, but uh, part of it was, I think, just the presence. And I also, uh, most folks who work with me know I'm pretty calm. I didn't get flustered in that job. And just love the connection. The kids were wonderful. The staff there were really amazing uh, what they gave every day, just in terms of compassion and empathy connected with that. Well, talk about how you you steered toward the, this path in, in healthcare, your your academic pursuits, Notre Dame undergrad, Duke. Talk about your, your academic background. Yeah. At Notre Dame, they have a, a unique program. It's called Pre-Professional Studies. So um, you get a uh, arts and sciences degree, but really take all the prerequisites for med school. So I was actually a political science major, uh, but took biology, organic chemistry, all of those med school prerequisites, uh, but ultimately decided, uh, I think, uh, after some experiences uh, working with doctors that wasn't the the pathway I wanted to choose. Kind of interestingly, wanted uh, to be a surgeon when I started uh, college. And the more I talked to surgeons, the really talented ones, I learned their careers are pretty narrow. The great surgeons are really good at a very focal set of procedures and activities. And uh, probably for me, I, I like diversity, uh, uh -huh. and, uh, a lot of different challenges. And so I just thought I'm probably not cut out for that long term. Uh, I was very fortunate. Uh, I had uh, a dear friend whose father was uh, a surgeon in North Carolina, went to visit him, and he introduced me to the hospital president uh, at the hospital he was at and was able to see that I could do maybe both, be involved in medicine, uh, but not actually be a caregiver. Uh, uh -huh. And it's kind of the opening to say, can I pursue something different in my career? Yeah. Well, your career path includes a number of years at Johns Hopkins, 
University of Chicago hospitals. You came to Indianapolis from Northwestern Memorial uh, Healthcare in Chicago. What attracted you? And you came, I guess, about 10 years ago, 2013. What attracted you to uh, the opportunity at uh, at IU Health? You know, I think, Gary, the three other places uh, I was at, they're really private uh, universities uh, with just this really wonderful, deep experience uh, related to research, education, and clinical care. But it really didn't have this broader mission to sort of care for a state or to see how you'd impact the health of a state. And that was really the attraction here that IU Health is the only healthcare provider in the state with the state's name. And it felt like the mission was different. And that really appealed to me when I thought about where Indiana was uh, in terms of its healthcare status and said, if there was something to devote yourself to, what a great cause to say, can I help make a state healthier in my career? And so uh, I've loved every minute of it. It's a great challenge, but also a great set of work to do. About a decade at IU Health became CEO in 2016. You have witnessed and led substantial change and growth. Talk about for those who, who may not truly appreciate the magnitude of IU Health, the footprint. Talk about that footprint. You truly are a, a statewide healthcare system. Yes. Yeah, so we have uh, 16 hospitals as far north as Fort Wayne, uh, as far south as French Lick, and in all of the major college towns, so Lafayette, Muncie, uh, in Bloomington. Uh, we have 300 clinical locations across the state, uh, over 35,000 employees. We're the second largest private employer in the state. And we take care of about one in every three Hoosiers uh, wow. in the state. And so again, that idea that you have a footprint to really do good and really change the course of healthcare in the state, I think is really important. And IU Health is an academic institution too, right? Uh, that's a big, big part yeah. of what you do. Yeah, pretty amazingly. I don't think a lot of people appreciate that we have the largest medical school in the country. Uh, we have uh, one of uh, the top two or three largest nursing schools in the country, two schools of public health. We just have a huge set of training that goes on here and for us, that's sort of this great tool when you think about workforce shortages that every industry is facing now, how you work more closely with the educational institutions to train great people, give them great clinical experiences so they go out into the workforce fully prepared is just a huge part of what we do. Yeah, I'm going to talk about a major project you have going on in downtown Indianapolis here in a minute, but uh, back to the kind of that overall healthcare status, if you will, of Indiana. How would you assess healthcare in Indiana? And and obviously, IU Health, a great example of of an institution that is uh, is doing business, if you will, in urban and rural settings. So, how how would you assess healthcare in Indiana right now? And if you start maybe at its highest level, Gary, you know our health outcomes as a state aren't great. The good news is they've gotten a little better. So I think when I got here 10 years ago, we were 44th. I think today we're 38th. 
I don't take any credit for that. I think that's, you know, a hundred different things driving that. But, uh, you know, what's interesting is uh, 20 years ago, Indiana was 25th in the country. And a lot when you look at the baseline data, it's not that we've gotten worse. It's that everybody else has gotten better faster. So whether it's uh, fewer people smoking, better infant mortality numbers, other things like that. So I think that's the opportunity for us is how do you see real improvement? And then you've got to understand that's different in every market and every setting in the state that how you approach those questions in a rural community is different than in an environment. It's different in Lafayette for us than it is in Muncie or Bloomington. And so I think understanding the assets and the people in each of those locales and being sensitive to how you come up with solutions, I think, is really important. What's what's the role in technology of technology in all of this? Certainly, technology is pervasive uh, in all sectors of the economy and walks of life. But as you look at healthcare uh, and the ability to deliver services via technology, how important is that, and how do you see that uh, that unfolding here in Indiana? I think it's critical, Gary. Maybe on two dimensions. One is access. So I think technology allows for people in rural communities to have access in a way that they'd have to get in a car and drive, you know, some upwards of an hour plus uh, to get access. The other really interesting thing I think uh, on the access dimension is frequency is, you know, it used to be you'd go see your doctor and they'd say, come back in 90 days and see me again. Um, now, I think with technology, you can say, how about I give you a phone call? How about a telemedicine visit in two weeks? It may be as short as five, 10 minutes. But that frequency of interaction, I think, will lead to better health as well. Then the other big dimension on the technology standpoint, uh, I think, is the cost of healthcare issue that if you're able to do more things remotely or via telemedicine like you and I are talking today, you don't have all the capital infrastructure to do that. You can actually reduce people's readmissions and other utilization issues that I think just were barriers before. So I'm really excited for the future of healthcare because I think we're just scratching the surface on how to use it. What are your biggest concerns as you look at access to healthcare? I mentioned rural Rural communities and the access that that folks in in lesser populated areas have, and for that matter, in urban communities as well. What are the big barriers you see, or the big concerns you have? I, I think, Gilly, we're fortunate that um, you know we're one of the states that expanded Medicaid. So in some places, just insurance coverage is a barrier. Uh, I think for us in Indiana, it's helping people understand they can get insurance coverage, because that becomes a barrier if they don't know they can uh, get coverage, transportation. And again, you said urban and rural. I think uh, maybe for me, the underlying issue may be more poverty than geography, that uh, your income status may dictate some of that. Um, And and then, uh, you know, I think it's also supply. Do we have enough primary care physicians? Do we have enough behavioral health workers? 
just the aging of the population is putting a lot of demands on the supply side. And I think we just have to make sure we're well-equipped as a state to provide care for everybody who lives here. Well, growth continues at IU Health, a $4 billion-plus hospital and expanded campus that is coming to life as we speak on the near north side of Indianapolis. We'll talk about that and more when the Business and Beyond podcast returns. At PNC Bank, we're committed to making a difference in the lives of our customers and communities by helping them move forward financially. As a Main Street Bank, we try to do right by our customers with every encounter. Our local teams offer personalized financial advice to help guide you in making the best decision. We're proud to be part of your community. PNC Bank. See how we can make a difference for you at PNC.com. Copyright 2022, the PNC Financial Services Group Bank. All rights reserved. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week, a very busy guy, Dennis Murphy, the CEO at IU Health. And uh, Dennis, as we uh, we talked about growth and the ever-changing uh, landscape in healthcare, IU Health is in the midst of a, a really a massive project that is uh, really going up pretty quickly because we pass it a, lo- a, a lot a $4 billion plus, a hospital, expanded campus, a teaching academic center, all uh, together uh, around the, uh, I guess it'd be around 16th and Capitol in that uh, that area of Indianapolis. Talk about, uh, Dennis, the project, and first of all, the scope and, and what all is involved. You know, this area is fundamentally a replacement project for University Hospital and Methodist Hospital. And now, there are parts of Methodist that are over 100 years old that we still use today. And we came to this critical juncture of we either had to invest a lot in both uh, or create something new. And just when you did the math, it made more sense to build one replacement facility rather than continue to invest a lot of money into older plants. This is actually one of the largest healthcare projects in North America, so not just uh, the United States. This is a huge undertaking for us, but as you said, critically important because I think this is uh, not a single function uh, facility. I, I really think the facility is secondary to what we do inside the four walls. We are you know, for many services, the state's provider, whether that's uh, transplantation, bone marrow transplants, uh, we do 50% more trauma than the other level one trauma centers put together. And so also during COVID, we saw uh, that we have to be a resource, not just for other IU health hospitals, but for hospitals around the state. And so making sure we have that capacity and capability in this building uh, will be really important. As you look at the location in that 16th and Capitol area around the the old Methodist hospital uh, that folks are familiar with, but if if you kind of broaden out the scope or broaden out the, the view, if you will, the access and connectivity to the IU School of Medicine, IUPUI, all of those assets, does that set up 
something that's even much bigger, you know, in terms of a healthcare corridor and a, you know, a grouping of, of healthcare assets. You know, we've looked at this, uh, Gary, from the beginning that if all we built was a really great hospital, we would have failed. That uh, this is really how do you create an improved environment and neighborhood, something we're calling the health district. And as you said, whether it's 16 tech, whether mm-hmm. it's uh, IU and Purdue uh, on their new campuses, but I think importantly, even with other partners in our neighborhood, uh, like the Children's Museum, uh, Citizens Energy, others, I think all of us have this common goal of seeing this project being part of a, a broader effort to improve the health and the neighborhood uh, that surrounds us and that there's kind of this equitable growth that I think is, you know, was initially fueled by the red line and yep. real transit oriented growth that we'd like to actually help accelerate as well. So I just look at this as a huge opportunity for this Northwest component of downtown to really change and, and grow over the next couple of years. In your view, can can this, as you look at the bigger picture, and you mentioned IU and Purdue and the new Indianapolis campus and how that's going to take shape, and, and you know Purdue, their new president Meng Chang talking about a sixty-three mile corridor between downtown Indianapolis, the uh, what is now the IUPUI campus, and West Lafayette, the investment by IU Health and all the other things, can this be kind of a, a you know a transformational time uh, over time for? Indianapolis, but also, you know, more broadly, central Indiana. Absolutely, Gary. You know, I've been fortunate to have worked at some pretty amazing places in my career, and this is one of them. And I think that combination of assets of really high-end engineering, a phenomenal medical school, um, a whole set of basic science uh, uh, departments that really don't get talked about uh, a lot. Uh, within IU, there's an unbelievable chemistry uh, group there, nurse. And then you have the sort of practical application of that uh, in clinical uh, environments. You have great corporate entities like Cook, Lilly, uh, all of the orthopedics manufacturers up in Warsaw uh, that are looking to work with us down here. Uh, I think we have elements that rival better known biotech centers like Boston and others that we can actually develop. Uh, you know, I, I was down in Raleigh-Durham early in my career. That research park there uh, was not nearly as big uh, back then as it is now. So I do think that is, uh, you know, our potential just given the core assets we're starting with. Yeah. As you look at talent, certainly IU Health, you have a, 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 a distinct need to attract, to keep and attract talent. But more broadly, Indiana is one of the big issues. Perhaps, you know, you could argue is the big issue for the state is is that whole talent equation. Do you view IU Health, your investment and in, in the investment of others as being kind of a key part of that uh, that talent attraction equation? A hundred percent. I think we as Hoosiers tend to be a little modest. And I always compare uh, recruiting to East Baltimore, uh, which is nowhere near as attractive uh, a location or a city as uh, what we have here in Indianapolis. We should be proud that there's not only a great set of corporate assets, but 
there's a great community, whether it's uh, the entertainment industry, uh, sports, restaurants, other things, great schools. Um, I really think we have to frame ourselves as the best possible place for people to be in the country, to come work, uh, but also to live. Um, and we see that as we recruit people from uh, around the country and around the world to be our uh, clinical leaders to be uh, part of our corporate team. Um, but we should we should be proud of who we are. I I, I don't think we tout ourselves the way we should. Um, mm -hmm. It's a great spot to recruit to. I I've actually not found it to be a disadvantage. It's actually been a positive. Okay, Dennis, what's what's next on your plate? You've got this big massive project going on that takes up, I'm sure, a lot of your time as well as a number of other things on a statewide basis. But as you look at the next, you know five years plus at IU Health. What did you see as the uh, the big opportunities, uh, challenges, uh, opportunities going forward? And, you know, Gary, we always talk about how do you make Indiana a healthier place is kind of this very focal vision for our organization. And so part of that is when you need care, how are we going to be the destination and provide the absolute best care I think this cost of healthcare and the value of healthcare is really important. And we consider that kind of population health. How do you ensure uh, you have all the best outcomes for people in that population? So best healthcare status, best healthcare outcomes, lowest cost, highest patient satisfaction. And then I think new uh, in our industry, probably over the last five to seven years, is really how you think about uh, social impediments to health, being engaged in things like education, safety, food access. And I think you'll see IU Health continuing in those three domains uh, externally, all focused on that goal of let's make Indiana a healthier place. But, you know, it's going to take uh, success in all of those domains to make that happen. Dennis Murphy, the CEO at IU Health. Dennis, it's been a real treat to catch up with you and learn a lot about you that I didn't know, including that uh, situation with the priesthood, carpentry, all that. I did. I mean, if I have another project at home, I might give you a call uh, and come over and, and help out on that. Uh, if there there's a leaky pipe, that's my special. <laughs> you know, I, I can handle those. Outstanding. Well, Dennis, thanks again. And thanks for your leadership in our community as well. Dennis Murphy, the CEO at IU Health. I the latest uh, edition on the Business and Beyond podcast. And I want to thank you for joining us this week on, uh, on the podcast. This is a weekly discussion with achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond, all brought to you by PNC as well. I'm Gary Dick. Uh, you can catch all of our episodes and get Indiana Business News 24-7. All you have to do is go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.